Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is entitled Acts 13, The Purpose of Fasting. And our text to begin is Acts chapter 13 from verse 1 to verse 3. It says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The beginning of chapter 13 sets up what is going to be the to be the essence of the rest of the record of Acts. The main theme of the apostolic ministry, and thus the book of Acts, is evangelism. These leaders were called to testify to the resurrection of Jesus throughout the whole world. Chapter 13 brings us to the time where the Holy Spirit sent them in earnest to new lands. The focus shifts from the church in Jerusalem to the conversion of Gentiles in Greece, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and Rome. Our focus today is going to be on what we find these leaders doing when the Holy Spirit instructed them to set aside Paul and Barnabas for a special assignment. In Ugandan church culture, most people have an idea that fasting is done to ensure we will receive what we want. For example, some years ago, a friend of mine told me that he and his wife had agreed to fast the same day every week. I asked him if they had some special prayer burden they were urgent about. He said the reason they were fasting was because they wanted to get land that year to be able to construct a house. They wanted to, they wanted to get pregnant so that they could have children. They wanted their crops to grow and things of that nature. That led to a good conversation about this topic of our study today, the true purpose of fasting. First, fasting is not a straightforward thing to understand in Scripture. There is no place in the Bible that says, fast at this time each week in order to achieve these results. But there's enough in Scripture given to us that helps us understand what fasting should be about. So, let's consider some things. What do we need to sustain physical energy? You need food, right? What are most people's priorities then in life focused on? The provision of their physical needs. Jesus mentioned everyone worries about these things. In Matthew 6, verse 31 and 32, we read, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles is used there as people who, who don't know God. He says, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And the Bible goes so far as to say that the God of unbelievers is their stomach. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, we read, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, 
with minds set on earthly things. The unbeliever only considers the natural man because that's all he knows. He lives to serve the desires of his body. But believers have been made alive in the spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We live in a new reality now. It is a higher reality that is only perceived by faith and expanded by seeking it in faith. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Fasting is a manifestation of this unseen reality. When you fast, what are you doing? You are denying the body what it needs for life, right? Doesn't your body remind you of your hunger while you're fasting? But we are ignoring that desire because of a deeper spiritual desire and awareness of a deeper spiritual need that is greater than our physical needs. A good story that illustrates this concept is when Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well outside of Sychar. In John chapter 4 from verse 5 to verse 8, we read these things. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Notice, Jesus and the disciples were all tired from their long walk, and of course, they were hungry. The disciples naturally go to buy food. The disciples demonstrated several times that they were men controlled by their hunger. On one occasion, they interpreted Jesus' instruction on bad doctrine from the Pharisees as a reminder to always have bread with them. In Matthew 16, from verse 5 to verse 12, we read this. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, It's because we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousands and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When the disciples returned from getting food in the village at Sychar, they were surprised to find Jesus talking to the woman. Then, when she had gone to the town to encourage others to come and meet Jesus, we read this interaction. In John 4, from verse 31 to 34, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat! 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The Bible tells us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus tells the disciples he has food that sustained him the disciples didn't know about. As usual, the disciples interpreted this to ref as referring to physical food. They begin questioning each other, asking who gave him food. Maybe they even wondered if Jesus had been hiding his own food from them along their journey while the rest of them were hungry. But Jesus explains that he had strength that came from a deeper place than physical reality. His food was do doing the work God gave him to do. That's what sustained him. Before Jesus began ministry, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days. Obviously, he was famished and in great need of sustenance at the end of that time. Satan came to tempt him in this hour of weakness. The first way he tempted him was in trying to get him to turn stones into bread to feed himself. But Jesus demonstrated this reality of the spiritual life being greater than the physical life for a believer. You see, Jesus would not take or seek what his heavenly Father had not given him, even when it was in Jesus' power to do so. Earlier, we read that our Father knows what we need before we ask him. The implication of that is that it is God who determines what we need, not us to tell God what we need. Most times we have this in reverse. We think we must tell God what we need and that he should respond to us. We should understand that if God hasn't given us something yet, it's because we don't need it yet. I think there are lots of times where believers make themselves spiritually anemic because of insisting on having certain physical or material things. God knows what we need to make us able to do what he wants. There's an interesting story from the life of Elijah that also pictures this reality. In 1 Kings 19 from verse 5 to 8, we read, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. None of us have ever had a meal that strengthened us for forty hours, much less forty days. But what God provided gave Elijah the strength he needed for the journey. It's very true that fasting is often a response to a great need or problem. We see many such examples of that in Scripture. We see the people fasting before Esther goes in to see the king. In Esther 4.16 it says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, 
though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. When a great army invaded Jehoshaphat's kingdom, he declared a fast among his people. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, we read, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. This last phrase gives us the true purpose of fasting. It is a denial of the physical need in order to seek the more important spiritual strengthening. It is a denial of the physical reality to seek God's will and presence. Daniel's fasting is well known, and many times people talk about Daniel's fasting when they're discussing what fasting is about. The Bible gives us this interesting statement that tells us why Daniel fasted. In Daniel 9, verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel fasted as part of seeking God. When we fast, that should be our intention. Whether it is because we are in great need of God's intervention or like these church leaders who just wanted to know God more and understand his will, the motivation should always be because we are seeking God. To have an idea that if I fast today, God will reward me with food for the next seven days is a misunderstanding. I do not mean that there's no reward for fasting. Jesus said there is. In Matthew 6, verse 17 and 18, we read, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when I think that not eating somehow purchase, purchases me all the self-centered desires I have, I'm misunderstanding the point. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 8, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. We don't earn spiritual points by eating and not eating, or by selecting the types of foods that we eat and the types of foods we abstain from. If fasting is for ourselves, if it's self-centered in its motivation, we are condemned by this word. In James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Fasting instead is a seeking of God's power, which is the essential thing required for the Christian life. It is God who makes us sufficient for these things. We can do nothing without him. Paul gave Timothy this instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, which says, For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. More and more as we walk with Christ, the physical reality should be overcome by the spiritual reality. Because the physical reality is merely an illusion, while God's kingdom is what is truly real. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, we read, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is your heart set on today, friends? Which reality are you living for? God bless you all.